and welcome to episode 32 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. If you'd like more information about the game, go to hazardgaming.com, and for information about the podcast as well as show notes and other episodes, go to pennyredpodcast.com. Today my guest is Magay Baker, but before we get to her uh, interview, I've got Kristen Hayworth here, who's one of the, who is the role-playing coordinator for Big Bad Con. How's it going, Kristen? It's going all right. Thanks for having me on. No, no problem at all. I like to keep people up to date with uh, Big Bad Con. I'm, I'm going to be appearing there for anybody that doesn't know that by now. Um, and uh, so how's, how's the, uh, the games filling up and, and what's the latest? It's, it's been crazy. Uh, most of the games filled up within probably the first hour signups were open. And it's not the games that you normally get filling up at a con. All of our burning wheel went out. Our mouse guard just was slammed. You know, a lot of the smaller, more um, indie press kind of games. Just and we've been we keep adding them to the schedule, and they keep filling up. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know that um, that both of my my games filled up pretty fast, and I was thought, well. You know, with uh, with such a breadth of, of games there and such well known game designers, you know, I, I wonder if it'll it'll fill up. But they they sure have filled up fast. And 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 so, how many uh, spots do you have left available for for people? I mean, if somebody hadn't uh, got around to getting their ticket yet, or um, was just discovered that they freed up some time on their schedule, like how much availability is there left? Well, there's, I mean, there's seats here and there, and you just kind of have to go through. Um, if you head over to bigbagcon.com slash events, it has all the different games listed out, and it has the seating right there. So you can go through, you can pick out what's still open, see if it's what you want to get into. But what we have going this year is we have a dedicated games-on-demand room and dedicated games-on-demand GMs. Right. And it's not just... You know, anybody in their running games. I know that we're going to have Jason Morningstar in there for an entire day running games. Right. Uh, my buddy, uh, Randy Davenport, who runs just phenomenal games. He's ran some of the best games I've ever been in, and I have played with some stellar GMs. He's right. going to be in there. Um, yeah, just... And honestly, I'm I'm more excited to be sitting in Games on Demand managing that this entire con than having signed up for games. On last week's episode, Sean was saying you know, that some people have uh, signed up to come to the con but are just planning to go to the Games on Demand, and that sort of leaves them with a lot of availability for you know, watching things like RNGM, or maybe they're going to go to breakfast mm-hmm. with uh, Luke and Jason and, and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually, it's Big Bad GM. It's Sean's take on RNGM. Right, and yes. it's And it's all the... You know, Little Red and Big Bad Wolf kind of themed. And there, we've added some events, which the breakfast with Luke Crane and Jason Morningstar is entirely new. We haven't done anything like that at all before. Um, we had Big Bad GM last year. It was an absolute hoot. And then this year, we actually just added a 5K run, of all things. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're fundraising for Doctors Without Borders through the 5K run that we're going to do Sunday morning. Sure. And how many people do you suppose that will be uh, keen to go for a run first thing in the morning? So far, we have five. Oh, there you go. That's all right. It's, been... <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Are you running? Um, actually, yeah. I am way out of shape, and I figure you know it'll be a nice stroll if nothing else. All right. There you go. Exactly. It's it's not a bad idea. I, I might. So, what time in the Sunday morning is that? Oh, I signed up and I didn't even look. Here, I, I have it right here. Let's see. 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Oh, wow. That's going to be a tough sell. It's, it's <laughs> brutal, especially since we have to be up the day before to do the breakfast with Luke and Jason. Yes. So it's going to be a long weekend. It, it's tough. And, and anything else uh, that you want to report there? 
don't be daunted if most of the games are filled up. We still have a lot to offer if you're still coming in. We're adding stuff all the time. We added a game just today, another Burning Wheel game. Um, yeah, and just, just take a shot. Come hang out at Games on Demand. There's people running pickup games all the time. Right. It's, it's, a, fantastic, it's a fantastic convention. And I'm sure Sean said before, but we're kind of differentiated in the kinds of systems that, we, uh, that we're offering. And it, it is. It's a lot more smaller systems. It's a lot more unique stuff that you don't see a lot at cons. Uh, not a lot of Pathfinder, not a lot of D&D. Just a lot of really awesome, fun fun games and systems. Great. Well, uh, so you can sing for your supper. I've got a couple of questions from Season 2 of, uh, of Penny Red. Um, my first question is, uh, what's your best convention experience? Hmm... Singular or my favorite convention? Um, well, your favorite convention surely is going to be Big Bad Con, but outside Big Bad Con. <laughs> outside of Big Bad Con, um, we have a friend, and he's actually, he was a Big Bad GM last year, and he will be at Big Bad Con this year. He runs an invitation-only horror con every December. Right. And he was holding it at a haunted hotel up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and this year it's out in... Um, out in Placerville at another haunted hotel. Right. Uh, and it's it, he solicits all horror games. Right. Handpicks who goes, handpicks who runs. Right. And that is, that's absolutely my favorite outside of Big Bad Con. Right. And what makes a great convention game for you? Um, for me, I, I, I want to be able to jump in. Um, and, and enough lead to keep the story going is always helpful. I don't like the absolute train ride, like this happens and this happens, and if you deviate, I can't keep going. Um, I l- patience out of the GM is fantastic. Right. Um, just, I, I'm a terrible listener, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question for you is, Indiana Jones or John McClane? I would have to go with Indiana Jones. And there's a reason. Is it uh, Temple of Doom when they reach in and pull the heart out? Right. We used to do that to my little sister. I mean, not pull her heart out. <laughs> panic, but we would pin her down and, and like do the incantation and press on her chest and make her cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as soon as you're going with Indiana Jones, then uh, Indiana Jones or Han Solo? Oh, Han Solo. Boys such out. a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> and what girl doesn't like a bad boy, right? Exactly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Hayworth. Today my guest is McGay Baker, designer of Siren, a game some of you may recall as the game Vincent Baker, episode 26, would like to be stuck in. Far from just being the answer to a question on an obscure podcast, she also designed A Thousand and One Nights, which has just entered its second edition. McGay is also a textile conservation specialist and a sex ed teacher. So without further ado, hi McGay, how's it going? Hello, it's going well, thank you. Now I'd like to just let that uh, sex ed teacher thing go go by, sure. but uh, we're all uh, we're all adolescents at heart. So uh, who do you uh, do you teach it to? Uh, like school kids or like for el- older people that are, that are trying to trying to get back back into it? Or well, um, my favorite group of people to teach is, sex ed to is teenagers, right? Um, especially young teens because it's it's so. Uh, important for them to have some quality education to make informed yeah, choices for sure. but the group that i'm currently teaching is a group of adults most of them are parents in their 30s and early 40s who are uh dealing with 
what does it look like now? Because we have right. this common conception that uh, we teach sex ed maybe to mm. kids in um, junior junior high school, and right. then that's it. They're done. Nothing ever changes. Right. Um, so that's the group I'm teaching now is a group of adults talking about that there are still questions and issues and things like that. Uh, so that's that. I'm in education myself, and one of the things mm-hmm. that I've noticed an increase in uh, as the years have gone by are, are parents opting their children out of doing, um, mm. uh, being involved in stuff like that. Have you noticed a similar sort of pattern? or? Um, all the classes that I teach with kids uh, are through uh, charter schools, private schools, homeschooling groups, places that are a little bit more open-minded and receptive to that sort of thing than sure. the regular public school. So right. and every time I do offer the class, there, there's a school that is uh, forward-thinking enough to offer uh, sex ed, quality sex ed. Uh, it is opt-in, and we do ex- uh, fairly extensive parent orientation at the beginning of the program so that they understand what's going on Um, and usually even if there's someone I think twice I've had someone who remained skeptical enough that they didn't let their kid go through the program but most of the time when they see what it's actually about when they see that uh, anything dealing with physical aspects of sex is very, very minor in what I'm teaching. And what I'm mostly talking about is communication and um, all sorts of other skills and other um, things that go into a healthy experience of sexuality. That's a big deal. So it's not all bananas and condoms then? No, although we do that. We do indeed do that. But, uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And whenever we talk about contraception, the pill makes it about halfway around the room before some boy decides to pop it, and I, that's just how it goes. So we have gone to the point of saying ahead of time, you know, let's explain, let's talk about uh, hormones and nice. what they can do. Right. But yeah, so most of the time, I don't have a problem with parents. Right. Well, let's get on with something slightly less interesting or more interesting, depending on how you how you look at it. How long have you been a role player? I started role-playing in 1978 when right. my uh, neighbor got the, I think it was the Red Box right. D&D set, right. um, and never looked back. Uh, right. In my in the years since, there have been two years that I have not been actively involved in role-playing, and both of them involved a cross-country move and finding new community to game with. Right, and do you have an excellent uh, first role-playing experience stories? It seems that people switch wildly between very satisfactory or, or very traumatic. Uh, my first gaming group was fantastic. It was myself, my sister who was three years younger, and the two children who lived next door, a brother and sister. So, and we were all hugely, you know, we'd just seen Star Wars, I think. You know, we just read, my mom had just read Tolkien's trilogy to my sister and I the winter before. Um, We had a great time. There was some crazy, silly things that happened. You know, that's one of the things that happens when you're a bunch of quite young children. I was seven, I think, when I started playing D&D. Yeah, I didn't actually have a negative experience of gaming until I was 19 or thereabouts. And what form did that take? Um, it. I went home with Vincent uh, t- 
you know, the first time I'd gone back to meet his family, which was all delightful, and met his gaming group from high school. And uh, one of we were playing Cthulhu, and we started at ten o'clock at night, and we're going to play all night. It was going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. I'd never played Cthulhu before, but I'm always up for a game, pretty much. And um, uh, I was playing uh, smart, resourceful. investigative reporter mm-hmm. uh, who happened to be a woman right. and we go we got into the first moment when things get like ooh there's something spooky you know because there's some build up in Cthulhu you're building up yeah. and you're building up but then oh my gosh some spooky thing yes. and the GM said who you know he was 18 um, the GM said turned to Vincent said okay what do you do and he turned to the other boy at the table and okay what do you do and he turned to me and said and you probably just scream and run <laughs> and I said, oh, and I'd already, in the process of making characters and in the build-up, I'd already run into a couple instances of, like, you are being really like a poster child for sexist nastiness at the table, at the gaming table. Yeah. So when he said that, I kind of said, oh, um, clearly you're going to play my character for me. That's cool. I'm going to go in the other room and maybe watch a show and then go to sleep. <laughs> which is what I did because, you know, I had had so no. much history. By that time, I'd had, you know, 10 years of yes. playing with all kinds of groups, all kinds no. of people, just fine. And I was like, I don't need, I don't need this. Bye. No. Yeah, yeah. It's just so. that being marginalized. And, and I yeah, think that. Forget that, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that sort of um, experience, uh, I think, is, fortunately, I guess for you, it took, you know, 12 years before that happened mm-hmm. but yeah. so I think a lot of girls that come to, to role playing experience that you know almost right off the bat like it's not yeah. a not a girl thing and okay you can play and then they the, the game master or perhaps even their boyfriend at the table mm-hmm. proceeds to drive their characters around for them and I wonder how many mm-hmm. girls uh, you know I wonder what the conversion rate is between boys and girls when they uh, when they come to role playing you have any know anybody else has had a similar experience and actually decided not to role play again Sure. I mean, if you go, if you, I write for the blog Gaming as Women, and if right. you go to gamingaswomen.com, there's actually a whole threads of conversation about this that other women have written mm. about their experiences right. as being women gamers. Right. And yeah, it's a very wide experience. It's a little bit outside my personal experience mm. until that time. And since then, there have been like, a couple times when people have done things that I'm like, eh, but certainly not. That was the worst. Mm, mm. Um, and I think that uh, you know, another interesting thing for me is uh, when I was in my mid-twenties talking to people who used to game, you know, women's right. like, oh yeah, I used to do that. And then I feel, right. I feel like there's a whole, there was a, like if I scratch the surface a little bit, I'd find women gamers everywhere. Right. But it's, it was still, you know, that was the nineties and it was still not quite cool right. to be a gamer like it sure. is now. Sure. Cause now it's cool. Right. Sure. And, and that website though, um, would cater presumably to, women who are already gamers. I'm wondering how many women would never actually get to that site and never be able to share those stories because they were just turned off gaming altogether. Have you met oh, yeah. people like that? Yeah, sure. There's lots of them. I mean, and I, I don't know, I can't, I don't have statistics that I can give you for that, but um, Jessica Hammer might because she researches that sort of thing. Right. Um, 
but the certainly uh, when there's any sort of barrier to play, uh, that's going to make some people not play. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. And whether that barrier is, uh, you know, you're sitting down at a table with people who. Well, in this instance, basically, you're sitting down at a table with, pe- with people who are not welcoming and not mm. actually interested in playing with you as a, yes. as a person and a fellow participant. Mm. That could be based on a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it happens. That, sure. And I think that uh, maybe um, that might be somebody I'd like to speak to with in the future. Yeah. Mm. Um, if, if you think she might be willing and you're uh, prepared sure. to put in, put in a good word for me. Okay, so you started off with Dungeons and Dragons, and then you had a bit of Call of Cthulhu, um, age 19, but in the 12 intervening years and the years subsequent to that uh, Cthulhu experience, what what have you played? Um, We played, well, the first thing we did was hack Dungeons and Dragons so we could play in Star Wars. Right. Um, Really, right off the bat. And then uh, we did, there was a Star Trek game i remember vaguely mm-hmm. uh, we really the, the four of us especially the three of us who were older were really really huge readers and huge creators of uh, fantasy worlds so i'm not sure like i know that okay so dungeons and dragons and then about a dozen different hacks of Dungeons and Dragons into Star Wars or uh, Star Trek or Lord of the Rings or you know, whatever world Jenny wanted to create at the time Uh, Thieves World figured in there when Jono discovered Thieves World Uh, then I moved cross country and then we played uh, like Robotech Macross, there was a role playing game there, don't remember the system precisely because it got to the point where, like, I didn't particularly care, you right. know, and there wasn't, it wasn't until the late 80s or really early 90s that there began to be an explosion of different, so probably in high school in the 80s, mostly it was GURPS right. and variations of GURPS. Right. And then, then in the late 80s, when suddenly there's things like Cyberpunk and mm-hmm. uh, Shadowrun and Ars Magica, oh my God, I played Ars Magica for a, a decade Uh, and and that begin you know edges up once you've got Ars Magica then you're edging I kind of skipped all the world of darkness white wolf thing I was aware of it but I was doing other stuff Mm -hmm. um but after Ars Magica then it's really hitting into our own designs because I uh, started playing, playing Ars Magica in 1990 with Vincent and our friend Esther at college. And really quickly we were hacking that and like, mm. doing other stuff with that. And then um, uh, Pendragon came out. We loved things from Pendragon. We right. tried to incorporate that. Yep. And then there began to be the first little flickerings of the indie game community. Right. Um, and then I played. I don't even. You know, then it just explodes. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, that, that tends to be the that tends yeah. to be the way for sure. So, you mentioned uh, Vincent there, who's your uh, your husband, uh, creator yeah. of Apocalypse World, and yeah. I was wondering because my wife has to say that she has no interest in uh, in role playing would be to undersell it. Um, <laughs> she doesn't. It just doesn't fit for her. Sure. Um, and I was so I've never really been in the situation myself, but uh, 
Lillian Cohen Moore last episode was talking about sort of uh, relationship politics at the at the gaming table, and I was wondering if you had anything to contribute to the to the um, to the conversation on that, like what your experiences have been, and whether you have any sort of unwritten rules and the sort of things that help to make it, you know, help the game not spill over into uh, into personal life. You know, right. once you stop rolling the dice. Sure. Um, well, character bleed is a thing that uh, everybody should be aware of as a player. Um, right. It doesn't matter whether you're in a relationship that's uh, of any sort. Um, being aware of the fact that you're going to, if you're going through something intense emotionally with your character, uh, that character interaction, that that's a there's some some actual emotions going on there, mm-hmm. and letting that you have to just watch your lines to where mm. that bleeds over into actual life. Since I had been playing for so many years. Mm-hmm. That was all really intact and right. really solid for me. Um, that I could play, you know, all kinds of whatever situations um, all the way coming up through. So by the time sure. I was in a, in a game with someone that I was romantically involved with, which didn't happen until I until I started gaming with Vincent, sure. um, it, it wasn't. It's it wasn't really an issue uh so that's the biggest thing is like to to watch watch your bleed lines like if something is happening in game Mm. um know when you're done playing Mm. and you're out of game um and likewise if something is upsetting or complex or or exciting or high emotion in your actual life Mm. um watch where that's bleeding over Mm. um because you know if if i'm supposed to be uh my one of my favorite characters ever uh our um shadowrun character um jack fantastic and he's supposed to be this total like badass and if i'm just in a sweet place with vincent Right. In you know, I'm 19 and everything's you know Hello. little hearts and flowers. Hello, um, Hello. I have to make I sure. Th- <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to make sure that I'm able to be Daddy, in that I space. Okay, quick say a quick hello. Here you go. You talk to say hi, Megway. How's it going? That's not Megway's picture. That's Megway's husband. Vincent, say hi, Megway. Hi, Megway. Hi. <laughs> See, this ties into something else game design-wise um, because of having children and gaming with children and trying to uh, design games and play games that fit around our life as parents. Um, and that's another place, the, the bleed lines of like knowing that the gaming has to fit in my life. Right, right. Um, and do you think that that's something that sort of develops? Um, because, as you said, you were at it a long time before yeah. you were actually playing with, with Vincent. And do you think that that's something which is hard of somebody coming into it? Say, for example, you've got a, um, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend is into role-playing and say, well, why don't you come along? We're playing whatever. And then that's something that it's a, it's a line that somebody that comes to role-playing later is going to have more trouble with. Or do you think that somebody's maturity is going to actually help in that situation? Or is that experience just... I think that one of the things that is most helpful, having watched friends of mine come to role-playing as adults, you know, in their 30s when they start gaming, 
Uh, it's a very different experience than for people who start gaming when they're 12, 13, 14 years old. Right. And the reason I think, you know, ties back to the first part of this conversation, when you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you're, you're trying on different characters, there's mm. something deeply psychological going on there about how am I going to be in the world? Right. And you are just by the nature of the body change that's going on, the hormones that are going on, the life experiences that are happening within and around you, there's a lot of really fraught stuff where you're mm. trying to figure it out. Yeah. And if you come to gaming in that time and place, mm. there's it, it can be really great and really transformative and really support a lot of personal growth. Mm. It can also be a place where things sort of get calcified right. and oh this is how i be right, right. oh i figured it out this yes. is how i be cool right and then that's that character that you play that's cool right 10 years from now that's not cool that's kind of juvenile that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and when people come to gaming in their you know when they're through all that it, you know, emotional, hormonal chaos when they're when they're in their you know mid twenties or thirties. That's out of the way, and they right. they don't have to deal with that. They're, they have right. a sense of this is who I am as a person. I, this is how I express I, myself. Here is a new outlet for my creativity. I it's a very you. different experience, right? And, but do you think that uh, so? Do you think that a um, uh, a person that comes is somebody, <laughs> is somebody is somebody better equipped then as an adult to um, to 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 deal with a you know a more a rapidly changing sort of emotional environment. You're playing one game as one character, then maybe you're playing hmm. another game as another character. Or is that going to be a harder? Is it going to be harder for them to, to switch? Because when you're a teenager, you know you're playing on the volleyball team, you're playing on the football team, you're in the debate team, you're uh, doing this, you're going to that party, you're doing this, and there's constant change in your life. Whereas when you're an adult, you have you have less. Um, mm. Your life is more stable, and as a consequence, do, is that harder for people to to have really different, divergent characters because they're not trying on different hats anymore? I think it's a matter of uh, temperament right. and personality. Yes, uh, yes. Some people are very, very easy, very, very quick to switch uh, what they're doing um, and what their focus is. And some people really are not in that space. And right. certainly that's true of, of younger people too, mm. teenagers. Yes, for but sure. I think that for my experience, there's a little bit of the inverse where when I was when I was 15, I could get into something that, okay, this was what I did every Saturday evening, mm. or, you know, almost every, was I got together with this group of friends, and I played my, you know, my character of the, the time, but right. we would do that, like, all year, right. you know, these things where we had these campaigns that went for 50 weeks right. um, out of the year. Yes, and as an adult, uh, the demands on my time are different, you yes. know, because I have kids, I have a, a job, I have um, other things I'm doing, and our schedules aren't lined up in the same way. Right. Um, as a kid, you know, 
I played with people I went to school with. We had exactly the same schedule. Right. We had exactly the same homework load most of the time, you know? Right. Now, like, getting together, we have great gaming around here, but the end of every game session is, all right, everybody pull out your calendar. When can we meet again? Because, right. you know, there's a lot more going on in everybody's lives. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that You don't get that same continuity or that same ongoing sort of experience that you get when you're, you're a teenager. But then with that, you know, people are much more careful with their time. And so you, you get a higher sort of quality of gaming, if you like. Well, and that's what we designed for. Like, really, looking at Apocalypse World and Cyrun and Thousand and One Nights and um, Murderous Ghosts and, you know, whatever else comes next. Part of that's what we drives our design decisions, my design decisions, is it's got to fit in my life and it's got to give that long-term feel if that's what I'm going for, yes. like with Apocalypse World. But it's got to flex around family and, you know, my kid gets sick or I've got to work yes. late or you have a thing you got to go do, yep. you know. It's, it's better. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that um, like games, like you say, like Apocalypse World, and, and the sort of games that that you guys have designed, um, you know, that and Fiasco and games of that nature, where you can have that sort of you know intense role playing experience, and you can remember that one that one session that you did, in the same right. way that you put together, you know, cobble together, you know, fifteen great moments from you know, like you say, fifty weeks of, of gaming, right. and you get that, you know, you can get that in an evening. And uh, so, in that respect, that's one of the favourite things about some of the new games that are uh, that are coming out. They've really put a lot of emphasis on those character interactions because you, at least for me anyway, you never remember. And then I rolled another twenty and killed another right. co- a kobold, right? You know, and it's not that's not an enduring memory for me, or at least um, it isn't. It isn't now. And yeah. but I do remember the the various strange and and wonderful things that happen in you know those short games where you have a lot of character and character involvement, and you get to those really sort of intense role playing experiences. Um, and even if they're not fun. a short, short game, like a, you know, Apocalypse World works great as a you know, several session game. Mm-hmm. And so does things like um, uh, Primetime Adventures yep. works beautifully as a, you know these g- games that have a longer arc. But the intensity is such that it it'll hold for a month if it needs to. Sure, you know, um, a lot of the games I played as a uh, as a kid, that wouldn't have held for a month. I wouldn't no. remember. I wouldn't like uh, go like right back to the fever pitch. Tomorrow we're playing a, a big, you know, we've been uh, Monster Hearts and we've been playing Monster Hearts for a while with this group of people. Right. And it's been like maybe once a month we get to play because right. of the way our schedules work. Right. So it's been at probably six weeks. Right. And we are all so excited because we're all right there because mm, the game mm. delivers so much. And, and that is really, really neat. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When it, if you get to the point where, you know, your games are, a, um, you know, it's like, no, I've got, I've got gaming, then you're mm-hmm. probably not as into it as you perhaps might be. And maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's something to be said for either taking a longer break between your sessions or mm. perhaps to, to finding a game which sort of allows you to get a little bit more immersed in your character. So you come back wanting to explore mm-hmm. that character, explore what's mm-hmm. going on rather than just, you know, like I'm going to fill in my evening. I wonder what's on this evening. Oh, it's that, you know, that's right. Yeah, for sure. So, um, what is your favorite book? Or supplement, other than something that uh, oh. that you've written. My favorite book or supplement. 
golly. Something that's not necessarily something that you play or that you always play, but something you always read. Yeah, I really love that book, or I really love that book, or something you just open and, and read if you don't necessarily play it. Wow. Um, Primetime Adventures has such great stuff. I really mm. dig that. Um, I'm, I also have a a deep fondness for keep of the borderlands <laughs> oh nice yeah it's yeah it's, absolutely yeah, nostalgic right back. yeah oh yeah like i don't have a copy of that right but i would so like i would play that tomorrow <laughs> if right. we're playing um those are two that really like in terms of supplement yeah that's it's, that's a good one um I really like a lot of the like, earlier editions of uh, Ars Magica because um, there's just neat stuff in there. There's a couple of games that aren't even out yet that I'm super excited about. Okay, such uh, as? Uh, 90, it's Novanda Minuti, 90 Minutes. Right. And um, which won the Italian Iron Game Chef competition it's uh matteo torini's game that's fantastic and then also uh love in the time of war mm-hmm. which is by mario mario bullseye and um luca Vello. is that right I, I'm, I'm sorry, not, I've, not, I've not heard of it <laughs> anyway um love in the time of war which is a, a fantastic short form game mm-hmm. um both of them are short form games nevanta maniti takes 90 minutes mm-hmm. and um Love in the Time of War takes a couple hours, and they're both like totally great, great games. I'm really excited about those. Um, but that's not the question you asked. No, no, that, that, that's fine. That's another. We, we yeah. would get to that one later on, anyway. So, just going back to a little bit what we were talking about before, and, and the fact you've yeah. sort of highlighted another sort of uh, another couple of short form games. Um, do you think that the popularity and the um, the sort of expanding numbers of short form games available is mirroring the bulge of role players, the average age of role players uh, yes. moving through. Yes, absolutely. Um, because two things, you 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 totally nailed it. You know, there's a huge group of role players who are now in our situation that mm. where we're gamers, but we have kids and we right. have stuff going on. Um, and simul- at the same... Stuff going on? No. Yeah. no I mean, I'm, I'm always free to do whatever I want all the time I like. <laughs> um, and so, simultaneous with that age, the bubble moving up, is the uh, ability to produce. And right. that we yes. are in a place now that we can design, we can get our designs to our audience, and we can create the things that we want. That when I sit down and say, you know, there's not a game that does the tales of the Arabian nights in the way that I want to do them. Right. I have all the tools right. to create that thing and make it happen That's right, and yeah. get it to my audience. Yeah. And I definitely think that the increase in short form games and the increase in games that deliver right now, even if they're not short form, like apocalypse world where right. like, like I tell, like it's gotta be fun in 10 minutes or yes. I don't have the time to invest. And that doesn't mean that I'm stingy with my time because I will play pretty much any role-playing game of a session of it, sure. Right. Um, so that's not the thing. It's just that that's that's something I am trading off with between 
my kids or you know mm. my other other things I'm doing in life or right. sometimes sleeping because <laughs> right, yeah. it's like it's one in the morning but the scene is so good we just have to finish even though I'm gonna really regret this tomorrow right. um, and so that that uh, that all pushes toward a, a short form game as right. an option as an option also you know the scheduling thing like we don't necessarily we're not in a place as a culture that mm. we can set aside because our lives are so full right. that we can set aside you know every friday night we're going to meet at six o'clock we're going to have pizza and then by by seven thirty, we're pulling out character sheets and we're going to play till two in the morning right that's not a, a, a that's not even a reality for teens anymore no that's right yeah um so i think that uh it was it was there and then when the first couple short form games arrived on the scene mm-hmm. uh like i'm i'm really particularly thinking of um of primetime primetime adventures in this right. which even that had an arc you know it's like yep. you're doing a five session you know five session arc or seven session arc and each each of them is a is an episode of a, you know the favorite television show you've never seen right that was a great revolutionary moment and like mm-hmm. oh wait we could design games that have a distinct arc that tell a distinct story and that are done in a, a you know that, that makes a, a satisfying literary you know story experience right right we instead of these campaigns where we just keep on campaigning right. you know right and, and so here's one of the questions that's going to be on season two um so what do you suppose it is that uh, that makes a game die? Because you're, you're talking about um, games that have got a distinct arc, and they're nice, they've got a beginning, they've got a middle, and they've got an end, and you can and you can recall you know, what happened in that mm-hmm. story in, in a wider sense. But uh, in a lot of games that run for a long time, you sort of know some, some moments hey, along the way, but not sort of how it ended or how it finished or, or what actually happened. This cool thing right. happened, but, but that wasn't the story. That was just something that my sure, characters sure, did sure. along the way. So, what makes a game die? Hmm. Um, I think there's probably two or three main things. First is scheduling. You know, the first is like if you're if you're playing a game that is reliant on everybody being there. You know, you and me, and you know these three other people. We all have to be there every single time, or we can't play. Right. That's really tough. Hmm. Um. That's that's a huge barrier to play because it just having to deal with five different schedules as adults um, that is tricky. It is uh, yep. uh, right. Like the the Monster Hearts game that I'm playing in now has seven adults in it, seven people's schedules. It's right. uh, four different households because it's three married couples and then uh, a woman also and. That's that's some tricky stuff to balance. It is. We yeah. are. We've got it. We've got to be wicked committed to say, okay, when are we going to play again? Because so that's the first reason games die is because uh, scheduling gets in the way, right? Um, or some some something else comes up. You know, we had a great game going, uh, Apocalypse Worlds. Somebody had to move a couple hours away, and we all held on to this fantasy for a little while that he'd come back. You know, yeah, once a month of a break, I can come up, no problem. Mm-hmm. It's it didn't happen. Right. Um, 
I'm still sad about that. Uh, so that's one <laughs> thing is scheduling. Right. The second thing is uh, games die because the story arc has ended and the players don't want to recognize that. Um, and right. so they keep playing past when the story arc has ended. When we when we create a character, we're creating a character that is at some out-of-balance part of their life. You know, something is happening that is tipping them out of their own status quo. And so we go through the, whatever that is, you know, off to, uh, we're, we're adventurers and we've been sent on a quest and if we don't go on this quest, then we have nowhere to live and we have no money and no gold. So let's go down in the dungeon, blah, 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 blah. Right. Or, you know, whatever, whatever the arc is. Mm. And that arc is going to come to an end. Right. Maybe by that time we totally love the characters. Maybe we've worked out the scheduling thing. We just want to keep playing. Right. But there's not actually a story there. No, because right, we've, yeah. we've reached a status quo where all the characters are balanced. This happened with um, Emily Boss and Vincent and I in our very long-running Ars Magica game. We had played through a couple different arcs, and they were really great. Right. And, you know, uh, founding the Covenant, and then dealing with the initial stuff around the Covenant, and then dealing with some tri- tribunal-level stuff, and, you know, oh my gosh, now there's a dragon, we've got to hunt the dragon, and that was fantastic, and just different stuff. And then we reached a point where, really, we loved everything about this game. Um, it was only three people, scheduling was easy. Right. And we loved the game so much, but all the characters had reached a really, you know, they weren't all like la 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 blissful happy. It's just things were established, things were right. settled, yes. and we the game trailed off a little bit, but mm. also it didn't because we recognized it pretty quick. Right. We recognized that we scheduled the time for the play, and then we didn't, and then we scheduled the time to play, and we got together and we just hung out and talked about other stuff. Right. And we're like, there's a thing here happened. Oh, it's done. How about right. that? Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So those are two things. And then the third thing that I think is a uh, a reason games die is uh, because character uh, personal play styles differ. Right. Um, if if you've got a group getting together and they're like, oh, this, there's a group that I'm part of, and there's uh, a woman in the group who's really excited about um, World of Darkness stuff. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to run this. I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. And luckily that group is large enough and flexible enough and we're all, you know, doing enough other stuff that we have it established in the group that it's totally cool to check out if you need to. Right. So I'm like, alright, I'm not, I'm, I'm got a lot going on, I'm not going to be here for this that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if you don't have that flexibility, that no. can end the game too. Yeah. Just going back to the second point you made there with, you know, like we're sort of done with this, yeah. with this game. Yeah. That sounds like, and if you, if you can recognize that, then I, then I think it, it's great. But you know, you've mm-hmm. got, when, when you get to that point, you realize, you know what, that game wasn't actually a, a story so much as that was us getting to know our characters and creating, you know, these sure. great personalities. And I think there's something to be said, you know, if you can recognize there's something to be going, you know what, I, I, I didn't create a really cool story, but I created and got to play a really cool character. And mm-hmm. I think that 
people, um, at least in my role playing past, are focused too much on achieving some mm. goal and not really paying attention to the to the journey along the way. I know it's a cliche, but I think that mm-hmm. in role playing that can be particularly true. You know, don't be afraid to you know develop a really cool character and then actually not have anything particularly that you uh, want to do with it. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's that's you know because character expli- exploration is a style of play and sometimes mm. just want to do character exploration. I want to know all about the little workings of this character's mind, how that goes. Sometimes I want to go on epic quests and, you know, have great challenges that we're supposed to do. So yeah, different things. Talking a little bit about, um, how, you know, games, games die and, and how, you know, as we get older, we have you know less time available for for role playing. It, it got me to thinking about another question I'm going to have on on season two, which is if you could role play with four people, living mm-hmm. uh, living or dead, who who would they be and why? And, and you can't choose uh, a game designer, not even Gary Gygax, and you okay. can't choose somebody from uh, from your family who's who's deceased, and you just want the opportunity to hang out with them again. Okay. Um, can I choose members of my current gaming group? Uh, Absol- absolutely, just- absolutely. It's really the why. It's really the why that, that I'm interested in, and, and not and you know, like uh, you know, they're particularly gracious, or just something about them that yeah. you find you know that, that makes it great for them to great for you to role play with them. If I could play, God, this is tough. Um, how many people am I allowed here in this group? Um, well, I, I'm going to say four, but I suspect <laughs> that as in the in the good fullness of time, people will change the number of people they yeah. they have. But but um, yeah, four, if I four could people. Play four other people. Living or dead, but not game designers, and not somebody from your uh, family who you'd like to see again. Boy, I don't know because I I am really lucky to be playing with some super awesome people right now. So that is cool. Um, so okay, okay, you can't choose your I own game group. I'm developing this question as we go along. You can't choose anybody that you are currently playing with. How's that? Okay. That's good. Because those people are all, obviously, the first people you would right. choose to yeah, play with. Yeah, obviously, I'm like, all right, well, I'm playing with Emily and Effie and <laughs> Evan and Kat and Julia and Vincent, and um, I'm set. Uh, but if you asked me a year ago, I'd say, <laughs> anyway. So, okay. setting aside the people that I'm currently playing with. Yep. And um, game designers. And, and game designers. <laughs> who would I most like to play a game with? Oh, that's really interesting. And why? Yes. Well, okay. The first person that comes to mind is Judy Chicago, okay, who was a really amazing, innovative textile designer and had a lot of interesting stuff to say about uh, women and textiles and gender and things like that. Because I just think it'd be neat to see um, how her brain works. Right. Uh, Tesla, because who would not want to hang out and play a game with Tesla? And I think he'd probably right. be fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what sort of character do you think Tesla would play? Okay, either he'll either he's totally the mad scientist, right? Because yep. he's going to try and do more more a lot. Like, oh, I could. What if I could do this? Mm-hmm. Or he's going to play totally against type and be some sort of. You know, very soft-spoken. Um, I don't. I don't know. You know, he, either it's going to take Tesla to the next level of of mad scientist <laughs> awesomeness, right. or it's going to be maybe I don't know. Maybe he'd want to play the the 
badass with the gun. I don't know. That's right, you're like a meat uh, barbarian <laughs> or something like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the <Nikolai> smash! Who <laughs> <laughs> goes through like brute force and simple Tesla oh, crush! Right <laughs> yeah. Tesla no likey. <laughs> he had so much of an ethic of like, uh, for the people, mm. you know, energy, free energy for the masses, you know, right. great humanitarian. Right. So, um, I don't know, it'd be, that'd, be, that'd be really fun and strange. Um, and I think, um, how do you think you get on with your textile guru? How do I get a whole, how how do I get, how would Tesla get along with your textile guru? I don't know. Um, I think that, well, they both were interested in, um, things that were deeply involved with social concerns. Um, I think it'd be a game that, uh, we probably wind up examining some sort of intriguing issues. Hmm. Either that, or it'd be a total escapist romp, and we'd right. be playing old school D anD D, and Tesla would be a dwarf that loved everybody. Right, Pep Sparks uh, would fly. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah those others. are the two that really come to mind. Um, two others. Um, oh, my friend Kate. That would be super. I've right. played games with her since we were really, really little right. kids, right. Um, and that would be excellent and awesome. My friend Joel, for the same reason, I think um, Joel and Kate were there. I'm still friends with them on Facebook. Yay, Facebook! Um, I like G Plus better, but Facebook is good for these things. Like where I, you know, these are people who were really important in my early life, and here they are again. It's super cool, right. um, and that would be weird. Because mm. Kate and Tesla and Judy Chicago and I would totally jive, and that'd be excellent. And Joel would have to find his feet, but I know he's got it, so that's right. cool. And who would be the game master? Uh, me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> would you play one of your games? We'd play Apocalypse World. It would be awesome. Oh, there you go. Nice. Uh, or maybe Thousand One Nights. I can see that. Uh, or I'd or I'd or I'd make something like Joel's a great GM from when from way back you know, when we were kids, but. Right. You know, we played we played like great wild westy things like way right. back before there was dogs in the vineyard. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, just going to the flip side there of your of your favorite games, are there any ones that you would cause to cease to exist? And you don't have to worry about making somebody sad wow. or, or the fact that it's not a learning experience for somebody else. Yeah, you know, like you yeah, just... yeah. Um, I, I, I'm. Were there any games that I would say you out of the pool? Mm-hmm. Um. And it can be for purely selfish reasons, like like it just came along at a bad time, or you had a bad experience with it, or something like that. Not necessarily I, as badly. Well, you know what? I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Tremulous, the new uh, game that's being built on the Apocalypse World engine, right. comes because due to my poor experience with Cthulhu, right. I have not yet played a game of Cthulhu. Um, that's gone well, so I'm looking forward to that right. game. I wish you know I. I think the closest I can get is to say, I just think that that GURPS... Oh, I have two answers. I, I think that GURPS puts such a, a big... Like, you can do anything with GURPS mm-hmm. around Ming for such a long time right. that it, it, it uh, cut... It, it, it circumscribed a lot of creativity that could have otherwise happened. So... I know that like there's folks having a great time with GURPS and you know fantastic, but I th- I wonder if 
having some of those like it's a universe you can do anything with this if that had not come along if people would have come out with different innovative stuff mm. wasn't all crammed into the GURPS yes I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like the idea of GURPS, but it, it just, it all, or that is, it never left me with a feeling of, wow, there's something cool happening here. It's kind of like, here is a useful tool for which you can role play. There's no flavor for you except what you put right. into it yourself. And, and as a teenager, I was kind of like, wow, you know, like, I find nothing, I always find it very difficult to be creative with no restrictions. So when, when I go to sure. write something, I, I always, you know, like uh, metaphorically, you know, tie one hand behind my back or, or set some parameters before I start. And that's what makes me be the most creative. When somebody says, you can do whatever you want, I'm suddenly <laughs> left with, oh, I don't really know anything that I want to do, so I'm going to do something else. Right, uh, and that, that's exactly like, I mean, that's a huge big part of design is figuring out what your parameters are. Right. Uh, you know, because when you're trying to design a thing, you are setting it's easy to imagine it like here's a piece of paper in order for there to be a picture on the paper you have to create lines and shapes mm. and they have to interact in a way that describes a thing right and the same when you're designing a game and if it's so open-ended you know we know this from our our experience as people from being little tiny people to being teenagers to being adults Knowing where the boundaries are is comforting, mm. and, oh, it, yeah, sure. and it allows us to go from there, to go forward from there in a confident way mm. that we can explore and create and experience and interact because we know where the boundaries are. And a game system, when you're designing a game, that's what, that's what I'm doing. When I'm designing, I'm creating the boundaries. This is this is the shape of this thing. Right. Uh, the, like Cyron and, and Thousand One Nights are very, very different games in very many ways. Um, if you want one, the other is not going to do it for you. Right. And I think that's the that's where the my sort of about GURPS comes in is that you know if I really want you know steampunk mm. and I go to GURPS Steampunk, mm. it's not going to do it for me in the same way that someone who'd said, all right, totally writing a Steampunk game. Yes. That would, because they're having to leave, you know, they have to fit within that sort of space right. or that, that openness of like, and then do whatever. Yeah. So that's, that's a design, a design yeah. thing. And Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's actually put a, that's actually put the finger on uh, what I was very poorly trying to uh, explain in regards to my feelings of uh, of GURPS. You know, when you when you are designing something, having the idea of why you're designing it when you start yep. really does inform a lot of the decisions that you make um, mm. about the mechanics of the game. You know, like if you take that mechanic, um, it should add something to the overall type of story that you're trying to tell. So, exactly. you know, you know, and GURPS um, for all of the, the robust. Um, mechanics that it has doesn't add any flavor to the story right. that you're that you're telling, and I think that that's uh, you know that's maybe good for for some people, but for me, I like the mechanic to inform the type mm-hmm. of story that I'm going to tell, and and, and that yes. doesn't do it for me. Yes, yes, yes. Your your the mechanics should be part of your design, part of the story. There should be like. 
I ran into this question at uh, PAX Dev this last August, you know, just a couple weeks ago. People asking about, you know, oh, I've got this game and the mechanics and blah, blah, blah. And like, there, if, if your mechanics are getting in the way of what you want to be designing, you got to ditch one or the other. Mm. You know, either put that mechanic on the shelf to use for a later game. Or, if you're totally in love with the mechanic, figure out what game is around that. Because if the mechanics aren't there, aren't suited to what you're trying to do, it doesn't work. It's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling as a designer. It's not fulfilling as a player. It mm. won't incent your characters and your, your players to to go forward from that place of clear boundaries and, and security and confidence. Right. Uh, and, you know, people get in this thing of like, do mechanics matter or do story matter? I'm like, it, it, it's got to both matter. Yeah, yeah. You have, you have to design both things saying, yes. I've got this great story and then I'll just use a D20 system. What? You yeah, know, yeah. you why, why not go ahead and do all the work? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah, exactly. you don't have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like no, no. if you want to make a, you know, if you want to, if you've got a great game, you've got Sorcerer, and you want to think, I want to do this, but I want to do these couple things different and make it um, anthropomorphic. Mm. Okay, go for it. Um, you can just do that in Sorcerer. We did that, but that's okay. Um, uh, but that thing where you, you have to actually um, consider carefully both parts of design, both mm. the mechanics and how that influences gameplay and how that uh, pulls story out of your players. It, you know, it's all got to be there. Mm. Um, so that's yeah, yeah. Well, we're just About, uh, like uh, this is hardcore game philosophy one hundred and one. So I'm going to change gears on, <laughs> on you completely. Who's your favorite villain and why? My favorite villain. Oh my god, my favorite villain is uh, definitely definitely Maleficent from from Snow White. Wow. This is going to be terrifying. Go ahead. Me. Yes. Uh, when I was okay, so Disney, right? Hmm. Disney has some weird problems, but <laughs> if you go back, <laughs> not least of like, which is Walt Disney's hairy arms. Have you seen any pictures of him when he was twenty or something years old? He's the hairiest. He's got the hairiest arms <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't know that because I always seen that suit, you know. Yeah. Um, but so Disney as a as an organization as an entity has way problematic stuff although mm-hmm. they did do like gay day at Disney World way before that was thought of to be uh, a socially acceptable and cool thing nice. um but if you go back into the animation of like Cinderella and uh, Sleeping Beauty and Snow White um all that early a- animation is gorgeous and um I saw Snow White when I was a little girl, and Maleficent is terrifying. Mm. Terrifying! Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't remember like if I had nightmares about her or anything, but right. I may have, because, oh my god, right. you know, she was awesome. Um, so that that's sort of like when I immediately go, ooh, spooky, like, favorite, favorite villain... She's right up there. There's right. some others that are interesting. Like sure. as you move forward, there's other ones that are intriguing villains, yeah. um, but they're not as much ones. And I go, oh, this one, this one, because you know, some of them are in role playing games that mm-hmm. I played. I'm like, oh, nobody else knows who Sarioff is, but right. man, he's the best villain ever. Right. Um, 
uh, different from the guy in Final Fantasy. I really thought they stole that name because that <laughs> Seriok was a name from our our um, cyberpunk campaign. Yeah. And then I started playing Final Fantasy, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Dang, huh? So anyway, <laughs> it's interesting you yeah. should say Maleficent uh, because one of the things that uh, this this question sort of brings up, and I, I tend to repeat myself, so I'll give you the sort of the greatest hits here, is that. In order for a villain to be really engaging, they've got to be ambiguous in a way. You know, you, there yeah. needs to be something about them that you find um, compelling, some sort of attributes that they have that you can identify with, or not necessarily sure. identify with, but something you find you find admirable. And yep. one of the other sort of ideas that I, I've floated and, and discussed is that uh, the, sometimes the villains, depending on, on how they're written, are the heroes of their own stories, and you're actually the villain of their story. Yeah, and having a character that will sustain that is, at least for me, creates an enduring um, antagonist. Yeah, because you're articulating the things about creating uh, boundaries mm. and you know, all that stuff. Like you're you're giving the villain in that picture also has a a place of confidence to work from. Right. You know, they're they're not just I am evil. <laughs> there's there's motivation. There's goal. They're talking about a whole. A, a, a complex personality. Yes. Uh, and that's, you know, who is way more interesting to engage with mm-hmm. than just something that's pure evil. Don't touch that. It's pure evil. Right. You know, um, it also it ties back a little to um, something that I, I wanted to say earlier about uh, if you if you don't have if you don't know where the boundaries are if you can just do anything it's not fun right um, if it's just unmitigated evil then it's like all right what's the question we just kill it you mm, know exactly yeah. Um, yeah. and it's, there's a same like if if you have unlimited power like okay what's fun about that yes you know there's I can do anything I'm done right you know big deal um but yeah so the villain thing yeah definitely having characters that are complex that are that are compelling that are like us in some way or that are and that we can see as maybe 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 they're the ones in the right maybe Mm. we're maybe we're messing up their lives yeah yeah Um, you know that's uh, that's an interesting villain yeah and and the reason i bring that up is i'm not sure if you're aware of it but uh there's a disney movie coming out that's told from maleficent standpoint Oh, I didn't know that. I, that. I'm super excited about about that. I mean, I don't have any particular feelings for Maleficent, but I'm <laughs> I'm really I'm really on board with um with this this idea of you know investigating villains. I'm really curious to see what Disney's going to do with her as I'm hoping as a protagonist, the hero of her story, and whether it's actually going to be just Maleficent in a totally different time and place, whether it's going to be right. like a prelude and we get to find out why she is the way she is, if it's going to be after to, well, I mean, I guess it's going to be after, but, um, you know, or whether it's going to be her and uh-huh. her machinations against, you know, what was originally a hero, right? Interesting. So, yeah, some rather... That's exciting. I, I'm very excited to see how that's going to go. I'm intrigued. Like, they've been doing... Uh, Back of things lately, you know, movies wise, there was I think two Snow White. There was a Snow White and the Huntsman, and then mm. a, some other Snow Whitey thing. Right. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to see again these you know, fairy tales come around again because they're still relevant. Mm. You know, there's, right. we're still examining. There's still a reason why, and even though there may be, you know, it's. Uh, hundreds of 
versions of Cinderella. It's still something we want to wrestle with. And then we want to wrestle with it from different angles and go, well, what if, like this Maleficent thing, it's like, well, what if, what if really she's got more there to tell? Mm. Yeah, yeah. more story. Yeah, because stories, like storytelling is, it's, it's innate. It's, it's like, it's such a human thing. We, we can't not do it. You know, your little daughter coming into the room saying, you know, you know, dance with me. She's telling a story. Mm. Uh, there's, it's, it's so emergent in, in, in people, in children. Right. And we, we all know uh, people who are excellent storytellers, you know, who can tell a little anecdote about their, their day. Mm. And it's just riveting because yes. they're good storytellers. Right. Uh, and so I think that's what, part of what we look for in games as we, as I certainly as I design them and, and as we play them is to be part of that process of a, an oral culture of storytelling. Ladies and gentlemen, McGay Baker. That's it for episode 32 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the show, daniel at hazardgaming.com. Next week's episode represents the first in the second series of Penny Red. And my guests will be Farrell Foster-Lynan from episode 8, season 1, and Donald Gardner from episode 10. So until then, keep talking the walk. Walk, 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 walk